Hi there, this is Ricky Faulkner from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is John Oliva, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks, so crank it up, or I'll come in to get you. Hi, everybody, this is Tarja, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. episode 358 of the Iron City Rocks Hot Podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, and heavy metal music on the net. Episode 358, we have three very special guests. We're going to be introducing you to Jacob Cade of the Jacob Cade Project. Uh, They will be in Pittsburgh to do a show opening for Boba Flex on the 24th of November. So we're going to learn a little bit about uh, Jacob, a really talented young musician, bringing some great music to our ears. We're also going to talk to Lynn Sorensen, who is the uh, probably most well-known as the bassist uh, for a period of time for Bad Company and also for Paul Rogers uh, when Paul Rogers was doing solo shows. He is in a band called Heaven and Earth who have a great new album called Hard to Kill uh, for fans of uh, kind of classic rock, rainbow, white snake kind of music. I think you'll really enjoy that. And our featured guest today is Taria, uh, who many of you uh, know is a very successful solo artist, former vocalist of Nightwish. She's got a really, really cool new uh, solo Christmas album called From Spirits and Ghosts, Score for a Dark Christmas. Uh, as we talk about in the interview, uh, it's got a kind of a unique perspective uh, for those maybe who are a little bit disenfranchised or have lost a loved one during the holidays. Um, not maybe a sugar-coated uh, lollipops and candy canes kind of uh, Christmas album, but I think a very touching, a very personal album. So uh, I was really glad to get a chance to talk to her about this album. So we're going to play a song from that album. This is called Together, and then we're going to get into that interview with Tari. Thank you. 
pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have Tari on the line. How are you doing today? Hi, hi. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for taking the time uh, to do this. Um, just had an opportunity to listen to uh, a new album you have uh, coming out really in the next week or two um, mm-hmm. from Spirits and Ghosts scores for Dark Christmas. Um, yeah. And obviously, I think, you know, many artists have done Christmas albums over the year, but when you do the Christmas album, it's kind of the capsule of time. Uh, yeah. And, you know, those are sort of iconic albums in many, many artists' uh, catalogs, ones that kind of stand out. Uh, when you approached doing a holiday album, I mean, what mm. kind of, um, when you look at like song selection, new, the new track, uh, what kind of preparation goes into that? Wow, oof. Since I've been touring, you know, during Christmases or during December, since 2005, actually, I've been doing uh, tours in Europe um, and in other countries as well with symphonic orchestras and with different lines up. So I'm, I'm kind of used to uh, sing during Christmas time, a lot mm-hmm. of Christmas music. And, and when I decided to work on a Christmas album, I definitely didn't want to do it like like you could imagine uh or it's it was for me like i wanted to make it so cinematographic as possible like because i'm a huge lover of soundtracks and movies mm. in general i wanted to make it very moody and mysterious and i i'm a girl from finland first of all where christmas is seen as something very quiet and peaceful sure there are not too many jingle bells around and you know still the happiness is there i mean uh, the enjoyment of families getting together and all that is still happening there but it's seen as a very peaceful celebration and Christmas comes to all of us whether we like it or not mm-hmm. and uh, that's also the the issue the the main reason really why I made this album this way I wanted to approach those lonely people in Christmas not the ones that are happy going and uh, you know running in the last sure. minute by the presence and you know doing their like in a busy busy schedule ah, panicking and you know all those lonely people that that kind of relate to that uh, of uh, having lost someone dear to them and um, every one of us we have lost someone dear to us so that's that was my real reason to do this album this way and uh, to be able to give some hope for those people. Yeah, and that's, that's a beautiful goal. And I think a lot of people, you know, you think about that, who have lost someone in, you know, maybe the months leading up to the holidays or shortly yeah. thereafter. Yeah. Um, it can be an extremely tough time of year for people. Definitely, you know? because for me, I, I lost my mother in 2003, and after that, I kind of lost the Christmas. I mm-hmm. lost the complete Christmas feeling about it. Uh, like, And only after many years afterwards, you know, I became a mother myself five years ago, and I... I kind of started to feel the happiness of Christmas again because I can see how my child lives through Christmas mm. and how excitement how excited she gets uh during the time so it's kind of a it's a beautiful feeling of going back in time and uh thinking about the good times you know sure. and mm. Now, did you give when you were selecting some of the songs um you know so so many of these songs have been done by you know the Nat King Coles and the Elvis Presleys and, and things like that. Do you does that factor into your selection? Was it songs that you know, maybe you enjoyed as a, as a little girl, or um, you know ones that you thought you know 
like Feliz Navidad, where maybe it needed a totally different coat of paint on it. Exactly, it needed that. Yeah. <laughs> it really needed that. Because if you think of a song, oh my God, how many versions and how many covers you've heard about that, how many different artists have, thousands of them have covered that song. But yeah, my approach definitely into this um, score kind of uh, approach, uh, it was for the songs that mean, that they mean something to me, you know, mm. all of them have been somewhere or another present in my life in the last couple of years. Uh, whether I've been singing them in my live concerts, uh, wishing to be able to record them sometime because of the melody or because it sounds good for my voice or, mm -hmm. you know, reasons like that. Not more deeper feelings or reasons like that. But also on the album, you can find my own song. Um, that's the song called Together. Yeah. I wrote that song because after I chose all the songs for the album, I said, wow, I, I really would like to try out a writer writing a Christmas song myself. And when you listen to that song, <laughs> basically, it's not a very Christmas kind of carol, traditional mm. kind of carol, but it's my way of seeing Christmas, being a melancholic Finnish woman. So, yeah. <laughs> so you want honesty out of music, and that's, you know, that's certainly... Yeah, that's how it goes. It's a symphonic song, and, and yeah, uh, talks about those lonely people in Christmas, yeah. Was Amazing Grace, uh, you know, I don't know in maybe in Finnish culture, but you don't think of that necessarily as a, um, uh, you know, a Christmas song. Was that, you know, an homage to, you know, maybe somebody you've lost or? Uh, Amazing Grace, even a song in English. Um, I've sang it in Spanish also, uh, mm. but uh, in Finland it's mainly seen or heard in English by several artists and. Amazing Grace was a song that I used to sing with my family, you know, I was playing the piano and mm -hmm. both of my parents were singing, my brothers, I have two brothers, so we we're always singing a lot of during Christmas time and those were the, the happiest moments, you know, all my memories from uh, childhood Christmases were those moments, uh, music moments and we're always very musical family, so, but um, not anything more than that, okay. actually, in this particular song. When did you actually record this? I was curious. You know, this is the second Christmas album I've listened to in the last week. Uh, you know, oh. for what I do, and you know, I think boy, I'm kind of rushing the season. But you recorded yeah. this uh, a little while back. Can you talk yeah. about the setting? Yeah, if you need to aim to the Christmas market, I mean, oh, we need to be early in advance to be able to, you know, make the whole production mm -hmm. work and and finish everything in time. We started working. In the beginning of this year with uh, Jim Dooley, who is a LA-based film composer, basically he's he's been working with me since ever 2007 on my all my rock albums. He's been working on the symphonic arrangements. So when I thought of having this album and doing it in this way, I thought of him because I knew that he's super talented and he can really work amazing orchestra arrangements, wire arrangements, as he did on this album. So. Uh, we started in the beginning of a year and I recorded my <laughs> vocals. I recorded them in Caribbean, actually, facing the sea, seriously, nice. in my, uh, in my home studio. So you could think or, or imagine the scenery being nothing like Christmas, but, uh, but, uh, the music was the key. I mean, uh, it was easy for me to get to the mood because of the songs and, uh, it was a very nice session, very, very easy session, easy production, this album. And 
and um, only few people involved. So in that sense, <laughs> did you put a little Christmas tree up there? Or I mean, it's yeah. am- amazing it didn't come out like Jimmy Buffett's Christmas album. No, 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 not needed for decoration. <laughs> no need for that. Um, did you play any instruments on this, or did you just do the vocal duties on this album? I know you play oh, piano, correct? Yeah, usually I play on my rock records I play, but on this one, no, I, I just uh, recorded my vocals. Um, you know, pro- of course, I produced the album, but uh, not uh, not any instruments. Now, this is the... the uh, you did a classical album uh, about yeah. two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, does this kind of yeah. help you kind of recharge your batteries to go back in and do a new rock album to kind of step away from that and do, you know, something more symphonic. These albums, they really make me work hard. Like you mentioned, the Ave Maria album that got out uh, a few years ago, it really made me work so goddamn hard with my vocals. I mean, mm-hmm. I yeah, an album like that required a lot of time and preparation and uh, also vocal training. I, I took it as seriously as I only could uh, because it was basically my first proper classical album, pure, purely classical album. Mm-hmm. I hope there would be another one uh, in a in a future, but I just need to find time for it. Really, uh, my rock career is still taking uh, my priority, you know, um, a lot of time. And and even even having this versatile career is obviously those two things being. Uh, or living between the classical world and the rock world, uh, they very much combine when they are within me. It's I don't have any issues, uh, but I'm just I am really a hardworking girl. I need to work very hard with my vocals still today and uh, take lessons and uh, you know get myself into a correct track if I start waving in a weird fields, you know, sure. uh, getting in a wrong track. I mean, uh, being a lyrical singer. It really requires a lot of uh, demands, a lot of work. That's now, for sure. As a singer now, and, and you know, you and I are of similar age, and, and you know, I think of you know some of the singers that have come before us. That you know, as their career gets on in years, they start to lose ability. I and mean, your voice sounds like it has no signs of slowing down. What kind of work do you do, and, and who teaches you? I mean, we think of you as one of you know the great voices in rock. You know, who do you go to for help? <laughs> I, I go for help for my uh, lyrical vocal coach. She's based in Buenos Aires, actually, in Buenos, uh, Argentina, mm-hmm. where I used to live for many, many years. Uh, I found her there. I've been very lucky to have great coaches during my career. Uh, those, Every one of them have had a different kind of uh, input in me, and uh, I've been taking the best best out of those professors, seriously. And so I can kind of... Fine. Everyone, every singer, anyway, in the end, you need to find your own way. Nobody can tell you what to do, but mm-hmm. it's just that you need to find your own way. And and I've done that. I mean, it's been a rocky road in that sense that uh, it really demands a lot of time. And uh, physically, first of all, physically, I need to be in a good shape. I turned mm-hmm. 40 last August, so I. But I feel I'm in a better shape ever than ever in my life uh, physically and also singing wise because I keep on training uh, it's vocalizing it's uh, breathing exercises it's, it's a tough work I still take opera arias that I used to sing a few years back I still take them I train keep on training even though I wouldn't even have a program to present you know mm-hmm. in a concert coming up but uh, I'm doing that and 
among all the work, I'm uh, having a lot of uh, classical tours to come, so I need to keep on training. <laughs> That's the fact. Yeah. yeah it, it, when you got into singing, you know, it, you know, whatever age that was, and I, I know you played piano. Um, did you realize the physical requirements of singing, and if not, maybe you had pursued piano more, to, you know, as a vocation as opposed to singing because of the amount of work? Because you hear that from so many singers. It's about getting enough sleep. It's about eating the right foods. It's about you know staying yeah. in shape. I mean, it's very very demanding. It's oh, when you are young, you don't think any of those things. Mm -hmm. No, seriously, you just go on and you you try to survive. <laughs> you know, I, right. I've seen all the oh, I've seen everything in rock and roll, sort of, uh, you know. But I've always been taking care of my voice. That's the first thing that has always been in line. You know, I never have wanted to risk of losing my voice, and that's when it comes to partying later or anything. You know, I've never. It's always been a sacrifice in that sense, the way of life of mine, you know. Uh, but uh, but the physical thing only gets to the picture when you get a little bit older. I mean, I've always been in a good shape in that sense that I've always been doing some sports in my life, but, but the physical me in a rock and roll, in a rock world uh, where I am uh, at the moment, I really need to be in a good shape. Otherwise, I can't handle it. I mean, I was just having a show in La Paz in Bolivia in four kilometer altitude and without any oxygen. And I kind of thought that I would die. But my <laughs> my physical condition helped me to go through all those things. And uh, but when it comes to classical music, oh, that the, the situation is very different. I mean, you don't need to be in a perfect shape, mm -hmm. but you need to be in a perfect singing condition. Certainly, that's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to imagine travel doesn't make this, you know, easy. You oh. mentioned altitude, you know, and then you don't even think about that as, you know, musicians, you know, probably 90% don't think, you know, maybe people think if they're traveling, they need to worry about the power for their amp. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't you, have that. Unfortunately, you, I have only my lungs. <laughs> yeah, which is probably more sensitive. Is there secrets, you know, to, to avoiding a head cold, you know, sinus issues and things like that on the road? I mean, that's... You know, it's tough That's for all of tough. us this time of year, but you know, you make your livelihood with that. Yeah, I've been very lucky. I mean, I have needed to postpone twice in my career a concert in 20 years. Seriously. That's and I'm touring like hell of a lot. I'm touring a lot. And I I just need to knock on the wood because really, seriously, it's, it's nothing. Um, uh, it, you always get cold you always get cold but I always need to be also prepared for that I'm like a walking pharmacy <laughs> when, yeah. I, when I get on a road uh, overdressed uh, woman you know always yeah. taking care I hate the planes I really hate the planes and the AC on planes I hate the AC the whole AC world is a, yeah. is a hatred uh, relation with that uh, but um, yeah it's tough. If one person in my crew gets sick, um, it's tough. It goes for everybody on in, on board, and then it's in, eventually, in one point, it hits me. But the funny fact is that whenever I get back home, then I get sick. Well, that's so okay. I'm working, know. yeah. Of course, you have to be mom when you get back home, and that's probably it's harder funny. to be sick. <laughs> my, my daughter is like, huh, Mama, how many hours per day you need to sleep? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, will you be doing, I know you have some shows in South America coming up, but will you be doing uh, you know, some of the, the Christmas album on that, other shows? 
Christmas shows I have, yes. Okay. In the end of the year, I have uh, only a few of them this year because I'm still touring with the Shadows of Rock album, the last album mm. of mine in uh, South America. I still go to Ecuador, I go to Argentina, Uruguay. I end with the rock album shows there in the beginning of December. I have a couple of symphonic orchestra concerts because Finland is celebrating its 100 years of independence this year. So there are a lot of symphonic concerts happening and and I'm I'm facing those challenges and different programs and all uh, craziness. But with this new album with uh, Spirits and Ghosts, I go on tour only for a few shows in Czech Republic and Ukraine in Europe. And, uh, but the album is something that I can be touring with every year because it's a sure. Christmas seasonal album. So uh, I'm very happy that next year there will be more touring rock shows also in USA, which is making me really happy. Yeah, I was just about to ask that when we were going to catch you in the yeah. United States. That's wonderful. So uh, again, the new album comes out November 17th in the U.S., uh, from Spirits and Ghosts, uh, Tari, I want to thank you so much, and you know we, we welcome you to the club. That'll include uh, Blue Christmas and Bing Crosby and all those Hi. great holiday classics. Nice, very nice. Uh, Merry Christmas to all of you and Happy Holidays. All right, again, Tari's new album uh, is available on November seventeenth worldwide. A uh, very cool listen. Again, that album is entitled From Spirits and Ghosts score for a dark christmas so check that out uh very very much worth your time a great something unique something new to listen to for this year i think we've all probably have our favorite rock and hard rock kind of christmas cds uh, but it's nice to introduce a new one uh, and this one i think really will make a nice collection or add to, add to anyone's collection we're going to turn our attention now to uh, a newer artist uh, his name is jacob cade and he's going to be doing a show at Diesel on the 24th of November in support of Boba Flex. Uh, he is touring with them currently. Uh, I really kind of cool to talk to him uh, and his inspirations. Uh, he's a younger uh, guitarist, uh, really influenced by um, Slash and, and Slash's Conspirators band. Uh, had a chance to work with Michael Wagner, uh, who is a legendary producer in the industry on his latest project. So we're going to play some Jacob Cabe, get into that interview with him.
Jacob Cade. How you doing, Jacob? I'm doing fantastic, man. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. You're coming to our fair city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to do a show on the 24th at Diesel. Uh, you're going to be opening for Boba Flex. Um, wanted to give our listeners a chance to get to know you because uh, I think you play some music that uh, you know our fans uh, would really like. It's kind of a mixture of some old school rock and hard rock. Um, but you're a pretty young guy, so I wanted to kind of to talk to you about what got you into this kind of music, I guess, initially. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I'm definitely super young um, for, you know, for, for being so into the music as I am, uh, the, the genre of music. Um, but uh, I guess what kind of got me into it was uh, the start of it was uh, actually Guitar Hero. I okay. was playing... Um, I was playing the game at a friend's house and it like just came out as the next big thing and um so I found myself like more interested in the graphics, like what was going on behind the actual game where they had the actual guitar player jumping around, moving around and um the audience, you know, there was an actual like a programmed audience in there and then they had uh um you know the the music, of course. Right. And then I was just like w- way more enamored with other aspects of it than just the game. Um, and so, as soon as I got home that night, I went into my movie cabinet and I picked something that had a guitar on it. Um, the first thing I saw, and I popped it in the DVD player, and it so happened to be "Song Remains the Same" by Led Zeppelin. Oh yes. And that. Yeah, that that concert video changed my life, man. When I saw Jimmy Page first come out, I that's what I knew. I knew it. I knew I wanted to do that. It's it was just like a like a switch thing, and that was basically the the catalyst to you know my entire life, you know, leading forward. It was, um, all, it was pretty amazing. Awesome introduction to rock. I'm glad it wasn't your introduction to fashion, if I recall, Jimmy's. Outfit on that movie was a little bit odd, but um, yeah, that was yeah. A, a, a fantastic, uh, you know, thirty-some minute version of Dazed and Confused. There, um, when you went to actually pick up, uh, you know, a real guitar, when you made the jump from the, you know, the the Wii to the to the real guitar, um, did you take lessons? Were you self-taught? How did you um, kind of learn your craft? Well, actually. Um so my dad had been playing guitar for you know ever since he was he was younger and he had a band and he was in high school and he played around and he you know he knew a few things um and I kind of was like hey dad I kind of want to try and learn can you can you show me something or what whatever and basically he showed me like three chords just to kind of you know get my fingers used to the guitar I guess mm-hmm. and then um, from that, I basically took it upon myself to kind of learn things, and you know, I, um, I was just totally enamored by the whole thing, you know, obsessed, you could say. And I didn't want to wait for anyone else to teach me, so I just kind of went on and did it myself and figured it out. And um, it's very much kind of my personality, I guess. Now it's just you know, if you want to do something, just do it and figure it out. And, you know, you learn way more about whatever you're trying to do when you do it that way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, um, I'm pretty much self-taught um, with the guitar. Um, and 
same with piano also uh more recently though that's that's a more recent um instrument that i've been playing with um mm. for a couple years now but uh yeah man self-taught uh it just is kind of one of those things that makes sense to me you know some people are good at math some people are you know love reading and some people are good at working on cars and i'm I'm just good at you know you're the figuring guy, out music. Okay. You're the guy that's lucky to be good at that. Now, as far as your band, um, I, I know for a while you were playing as a, a trio, correct? Yes, yeah, and it, it still still will be a trio when okay. I when I see you guys in Pittsburgh. Okay, so who do, who handles the singing portion of the music? I do I do the singing. So so the way the band is set up is uh, I'm lead guitar player, lead singer, and write most of the tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I'm I'm on the writing credit of all the tunes, um, but you know some of them are co-writes uh, on this uh, upcoming record that we put out. Um, but uh, and then as far as everything else goes, I have a bass player and a drummer that are going to come with me, and um, that's going to be a that is going to be a uh, just a three-piece kind of power trio is how you could put it. Um, Excellent. And that's that's how I've been jamming, you know, my whole career basically. Um, wanted to kind of want to eventually build on that. Um, I'm very much into like the big band, you know, horn section, background singers type of thing. Um, but that's all in good time. Yeah, that's uh, a, right that now comes going... comes with a budget there. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, that, as a matter of fact, everything comes with a budget. You know. Yeah. People would be surprised. You know, going out on tour is not cheap. <laughs> no, no, you definitely got to have got to have your ducks in a row, I guess. Um, which I'm learning quickly. Yeah. Now, how is the reaction? I mean, when when you get up on stage, I mean, you're going to be playing. I mentioned the show at Diesel. Uh, you know, you're getting up on a, you know an audience that's largely older than you. I mean, is it still a novelty, or are you kind of to the age now where people don't may, maybe mention as much as they did a few years ago? Um. Well, now, I mean, I could tell you it's settling down. Um, when when I'm on stage, people nowadays don't really connect the youngness. I mean, they know they see I'm young, uh, but they don't. It's not as much of a big story as it was when I was 12, 13, 14, playing in these bars, you know, or these clubs. Um, now it's kind of now it's 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 more about the music and the show and just how how fun it is. Um, so I'm I'm happy for that um, because you know, like you said, it's, sometimes it can be a bit of a novelty thing, um, and I don't don't like to be known as like, oh yeah, he's just a young kid that can play guitar, you know. Um, yeah. For me, it's a lot a lot about the music and just what the show and what's actually going on. So um, that's a pretty good thing. Now, can you talk a little bit about um, Brent Brett Fitz and, and how you came to work with him? Of course, man. Um, Brent. So, I guess backstory to you know from before I even met him. Um, I my first show, he was the drummer that I the, my first show that I saw, um, like my first concert. It was Flash opening up for Ozzy, and he was in in Flash. You know that's right. a lot of people know him from there, and um, he also has a huge catalog of people he's played with, um, but. I've, he's always been, you know, one of my favorite drummers ever. Uh, and Slash and the Conspirators always have been one of my favorite bands ever. You know, they're 
that's kind of where I picked a lot of the the writing style and the way I play guitar and the way Miles sings even um, I kind of you know would pick a lot from a lot of from their brain as much as I could just by hearing the records and, and watching the shows and stuff um, so I was super super fan you could say and um, one day we were in Nashville and um, we were at a place called the Rock and Roll Residency a show over there where they a band it's a house band and they all come in and they jam and then everyone from the rock scene in Nashville shows up and it's a wild experience wild thing um, and so we were in there and Michael Wagner who produced the record mm-hmm. um, and is very very well known in the scene absolutely um, was, oh yeah and he was interested introducing me to a bunch of people um, uh, and so throughout that kind of throughout that event you know meeting everybody and whatever I kind of looked over and I saw Brent walking by me and you know like any person would I kind of stepped in front of him and maybe I scared him a little bit I'm not sure you'd have to ask him <laughs> but uh I said I said Brent Brent Fitz and he was like hey man who who are you? <laughs> and um, because I, I don't know, I, I don't know if people really, you didn't really expect anyone to know who he was. Or anything. Yeah. So uh, I, we got to talking. I told him why I was there. I was recording a record. Um, and then eventually, uh, thank God, I didn't have a drummer yet. So I asked Michael. I said, "Hey, you think we could try and get Brent to play?" And Michael was like, "Yeah, of course we could. Let's try." It. And Michael goes, "Is he good?" And I was like, are you kidding me right now? He's amazing. And Michael says, okay, well, I'll trust you. And he goes up and asks him. And Brent, being the awesome guy that he was, was like, yeah, of course. Even though he had no idea who I was. He didn't even know if I could play a lick of guitar. Um, but uh, he was he was willing. And um, from then on, we exchanged phone numbers. He then came to Colorado. Um, and we did pre-production here. We jammed out, got to know each other a little bit, um, and been friends ever since. Uh, that's such a surreal, one of the many surreal moments I've had with this ride going on here. Yeah, I mean, you you could almost stop at Michael Wagner. I mean, that's, you know, I think for anybody who is a fan of, you know, almost the entire decade of the 80s is going to know that name, you know, from countless albums classic albums um how did you end up working with him i mean that couldn't have come cheap um no yeah um so basically uh a great story with that also this whole thing is based on crazy you know stories that could only come you know like you said at a at a at a work you know when you work 24 7 but uh right Somehow we got in contact with um, a guy named Johnny Duenel in Nashville, and Johnny is, became my um, social media and marketing guy. Um, and throughout, you know, he's he's big in the rock scene. He's a, he's a rocker, and so he was excited, you know, for for this whole thing. He's like, well, I think we need a record, so let's let's see if we can make one, preferably in Nashville and everything like that. I was like, okay cool so um, a couple days go by and he calls back and he says dude um, 
I've got Michael Wagner on the on the phone for you. And it was like, what? No way. And then Michael and I talked, and Michael, we, you know, we kind of were like, all right, well, let's get together and do something. You want? It was like, you want to produce a record, Michael? And Michael was like, oh yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, he's because you know he's very guitar. He he loves the guitar and mm -hmm. very heavy in that that genre of music. So he was like, of course I want to do this. And so um, that's how it really got kicked off. And then um, throughout the whole thing, Michael literally just did. Like I couldn't thank him enough for everything he did. Not only just producing the record, but getting my name to different people and. Um, introducing me to different people and getting me to work with these artists that you know I thought never thought in a million years I would be able to meet, let alone work with them. And you know, um, so it was just a very cool experience. And Michael is like the, the nicest guy you could ever talk to. You know? Yeah, so, I, I imagine just. Awesome just him being involved might have been enough for Brent to say yes without hearing you know when you look at Michael's you know resume with Metallica Megadeth Ozzy Alice I mean you know it's just platinum 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 all the way down the line um, oh yeah so obviously you're in good hands um, so as far as a live show um, how much time do you get when, when you're doing this tour with with Boba Flex I mean are you doing like half hour or how much time do they get yeah you? I believe I believe we have a 35-minute slot most of, okay. the, most of the shows. Um, so it's, you know, substantial amount of time for a, for an opening act, and I'm I'm thankful for it, you know. Um, Boba Flex, the, guy, the guys in the band have been super generous to us, you know. You know, from the, from the perspective that this is our first tour, you know, mm -hmm. going out and everything, so they've been super nice to us, man. Yeah, that, that's got to be kind of an exciting thing, you know, the first chance to, you know, kind of make an impression on every city you go to. That's a, a wonderful opportunity. Um, can you point us to where people can find out more about your band, or your websites, or social media? Where's the best place to find out about Jacob Cade? Definitely, man. Um, so all the social medias, um, I have, you know, the Facebook, the Instagram, the uh, the Twitter, and my, my website. Um, all the social medias are going to be under Jacob Cade Rocks. Jacob Cade Rocks, um, and then my website is going to be under jacobcadeproject.com. Okay. Um, and so, you know, if you go there, it'll point you, you know, everywhere's on, everything's on there, on those places. Um, we've got music out on iTunes, we have music out on Spotify, SoundCloud, um, all that, all, all that good stuff, and there's actually a a single that just got released called What's Your Problem. Um, okay. Definitely go check it out. There's a there's a video on YouTube, a little visualization video that mm. people are really digging right now. Awesome. Um, and also, you know, available for download. So definitely check it out, man. Awesome. Well, well hopefully we'll, we'll um, get a chance to see when you come into town. People can come out and support the record, uh, you know, buy a T-shirt and help you keep the gas in the bus to get to the next town because I know it's it's a tough tough for a new artist so we wish you all the best and, and you know hopefully everything goes great for you and we'll uh, talk to you next time thank you so much man I really do appreciate it uh, I'm going to use all that all those best wishes and you know for the best intentions man I think uh, it's going to be a great tour I'm super excited um, thank you very much alright again you can catch Jacob Diesel with Boba Flex 
He'll be in on the November 24th, and then he's doing a show in December in Morgantown, West Virginia, so you can visit our website. We'll have links to his website with all the tour dates. So uh, great to hear a, a younger guitarist kind of keeping the rock and roll spirit alive. Uh, I think as many of us uh, get to the age of having kids, we realize that you know rock and roll needs kind of a shot in the arm sometimes. So it's cool. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we all saw Guitar Hero and kind of like this seems... You know, maybe it's the greatest thing in the world, maybe it's the stupidest thing in the world, but proof positive that it reached someone at least. So great to see that. So we're going to turn our attention now to a veteran of music, Lynn Sorensen, who uh, played bass uh, for a period of time in the reformed Bad Company with Paul Rogers uh, when they kind of reunited uh, a while back. And he also played bass for Paul Rogers' uh, solo band. Uh, quite a bit so he's moved on to a uh, really cool band that's been around for a while heaven and earth Uh, they have a fantastic new record out uh, that i think will really uh, speak to people who enjoyed uh, maybe rainbow white snake uh, kind of hard driving rock and roll uh, with a hammond organ sort of sound that wouldn't necessarily say borders into metal more uh, you know classic hard rock uh, but very modern sounding is a fantastic uh, album. So we're going to play a little bit of Heaven and Earth's new one. We're going to get into that interview with Lynn Sorensen. <laughs>
pleasure to welcome to the show from the band Heaven and Earth. We have Lynn Sorensen on the line. How are you doing, Lynn? Very good. Very nice. Well, it's great to talk to you. Um, I think I personally first kind of caught um, attention. You're, seeing you live was with uh, Paul Rogers. Um, oh, yeah. Can we, can we back up a little bit? I, I believe, um, how did you end up working with Paul Rogers and Bad Company, just out of curiosity? Well, I uh, in 2000, uh, the bass player they had um, had to go. Uh, he wanted the weekend off. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I knew the drummer. The drummer gave me a call, and uh, he asked, said, "Lynn, you want to do a couple of gigs with us on this one weekend?" I said, "Well, yeah, sure." So the uh, the suit, so to speak, came out and saw me play, and they said, "Okay, you'll be fine." And they gave me a work tape of a previous gig, and mm-hmm. uh, we didn't rehearse or anything. So I got the tape, and I could tell that, well, for one thing, the bass player they had didn't sing, and I sing. And uh, and so I smelled blood on the job, and sure. I um, I said I'm going to go steal this job, which is what happens in this business. <laughs> and uh, and I and and that's basically what happened. I got up and and my first gig with Paul was in front of probably about fifty thousand or so people in a festival outside of Vegas, and uh, and there was nothing but heads everywhere. And, and I do recall being more blown away by the fact that I stepped up to the microphone right off the bat on like feel like making love and sang mm-hmm. a third above Paul while I'm playing singing harmony to him like oh my goodness I'm playing singing access to this guy yeah. and uh, so and then you know I got a call a couple weeks later saying job's mine so yeah the rest was history now let me ask you this yeah. as, as a bass player in particular is singing almost as vital as your ability to you know to learn songs it seems like so many bass players get gigs based on their ability to you know harmonize with certain individuals have you found that to be oh, true? Oh well very much true I mean basically I'm doing the work of two people and, mm. and, and playing bass and singing uh, is, is it's very it's, it's difficult because uh, it's much easier to sing and play guitar because guitar generally is rhythmic, rhythmically with with the voices, and and melodically with mm-hmm. the voices. Bass is completely counterintuitive to usually a vocal line. Uh, as a bass player, particularly in smaller rock bands, you're spending your time playing lines that the guitar player isn't doing or the vocalist isn't doing. Right. And so what you find yourself doing is singing a line and playing a completely different counterpoint line with your fingers, and it it's you know. Uh, it's a challenging challenging thing so when you're a bass player you can think it puts you in front of the marketplace definitely yeah I've noticed that with you know many bassists we've had over the years it always seems to be the voice that gets you know the gigs yep. now you were a classically trained musician correct yeah I uh, started playing violin at the age of nine uh, and and then I uh, began seriously studying classical music with the uh, principal violist on Wyan of the Sales of the Orchestra for nine years after that. And and I uh, I was going to be, that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a classical uh, violist. Actually, I was playing viola by the, by the end there. And um, I um, auditioned for the Sales Symphony when I was 17, got in the finals. And, and uh, the problem is, is I went and saw The Who 
<laughs> I knew there way. had to be something. What what changed the dark side? Yeah. Well, I you know I'm I'm 16 and I'm watching the Who and I'm watching these girls go absolutely crazy. And you know, you're a 16 year old, and those are the kind of that influence you. Exactly. I didn't see that happen. I didn't see that happening with violinists. <laughs> no. I uh, and and plus the the scene, the feeling of it turned me turned me on. Uh, and shortly after that, I saw John McLaughlin's uh, uh, first Mahavishnu Orchestra with uh, Jerry Goodman on violin at the Paramount Theater in Seattle. And watching him play his stuff, his, his style on the violin, just completely that that was a tipping point for me. There was no turning back. I went and got a Barkus Perry picked up on my violin and started learning blues with now, was was bass kind of your first call it rock instrument? No, I actually played guitar. I started playing guitar, and everybody plays guitar. And I've always been enamored with the low end of mm-hmm. of rock bands. Uh, it's always kind of you know got me going. And so I uh, uh, bass bass players were were needed. So I said, well, I picked up my a Univox bass and just started teaching myself bass guitar and, and uh, got in bands and then I realized oh I should sing and so I taught myself to sing and play bass you know on and on on and on now can I ask you know fast forwarding you know to today how did you end up working with Stuart and Heaven and Earth I know it's been kind of a you know a, the band has been kind of fluid lineup wise right. over the years oh, yeah. how did you yeah. end up working with Stuart well he saw me play with Paul um, we we'd play different venues down in LA, and, and so it was a big Paul Rogers fan. So he was always at at the shows and backstage. I met him uh, several times at public shows, and then he saw me play with Bad Company. And he came up to me and said, uh, "You know, we we I want to play with you someday." And this was you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I always, you know, uh, I, I knew knew of Stewart and everything. And so he gives me a call. Probably, I think the Dig album had been out for probably about six, seven months, and they were planning a, a European tour. And uh, they had a bass opening. Chuck Wright left the band, and and so Stuart calls me up, says, "Lynn, I got um, I got a new record, I got a new singer, and I can pay you money. You want to be my bass player?" So you can't argue with that. No, well, I mean, I went online to check out the songs, and of course, Jig had some really good tunes on it. And I'm going, oh my goodness, but Joe Retta on vocals has to be certainly one of the best undiscovered rock vocalists in the planet. Yeah. I mean, certainly one of the best. And he, his voice is just, right then I was like, oh my God, yeah. You got to have that singer in rock and roll, and and uh, and he was sitting there right in front of my face. So, yeah, I accepted. Now the the new album um, that it's you know it really got some fantastic. Uh, it's kind of fun to hear the, the music like that because it has a very classic rock sound to it, but it doesn't sound like a 1973 and you know 1975 recording. Can you talk a little, right. little bit about um, you know how the songs came together? You know, were all the band involved, or did Stuart kind of put them together, and you guys just you know fill well, in your parts? Yeah, we yeah we got off uh, we got off the European <clears throat> tour supporting Dig. Uh, Jackie Barnes was a drummer, a son of Jimmy Barnes out of Australia. Mm-hmm. He had to go back to Australia 
And um, so we grabbed Kenny Arnoff. Kenny Arnoff was uh, in a rare time when he had actually some time. Yeah, <laughs> and, so uh, you got like a two-week period? <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> most, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, we sat down in Stuart's living room, set up uh, everything, cheaply mic'd everything, just put a mic in front of you know each instrument, and... Uh, and put a cheap little eight-track recorder, and we just started uh, thumbing through lick ideas that we we'd have. And Stuart's a real good uh, uh, lick writer. He comes up with those, you know, about every fifth one. You just kind of go, "Now that's cool." And then we would take that and work up songs, and work up. We'd would offer ideas up until we had a verse and a chorus, and maybe a third part if needed, and uh, and then moved on to another idea. We did that for, you know, a while. And then uh, Joe got a hold of those and started putting uh, vocal lines to, to the ideas. And it's really interesting when you do that. Sometimes you come up with a real blasé kind of song idea. Mm-hmm. And, and but Joe will put a, and you think, oh, that's going to be no good. And then Joe will put this vocal line, and you go, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, that's golden. And other times, it's the other way around. You come up with a really cool musical idea, and you think, well, this is cool, but, you know, there's just no writing. There's just no ability to write any kind of really cool, catchy voice to it. So yeah. we went through that period, and that took a, a good uh, uh, few months. And then we just got together at the Kenny studio, and me and Kenny laid down the bed in his studio in Van Nuys out there. He's got a drum, you know, studio. And, mm. So we just sat down and laid that down, and then, uh, and then Joe and uh, Stewart did the rest. You know, after that. Now, um, now that the the album is, you know is out, you've got Hard to Kill is out. Um, do you guys have kind of firm touring plans, or you know how? I mean, obviously with schedules and things like that, I'm sure you know getting Kenny's time to tour might not be the simplest thing. What what are the plans for for the taking the show? Well, on the road? we we actually, we actually have put a touring band together because since um, since a couple of Super Bowls ago, since shortly after we wrote the record and and recorded the bed, Ty Bailey got a job with Katy Perry, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's out with the keyboardist is out with her, and then you know uh, Kenny is just. He's always busy. Of course, you know, John Fogarty is his, uh, basically his paper route gig. Right. You know? I mean, that's, you know, he does that all the time. And um, so we picked up uh, a drummer called, by the name of Steve Wilson, a great, great drummer. Uh, I'm very particular about drummers that I play with. Uh, he is, he's very good. And then we uh, picked up Mike Lanigan on keyboard. So we have a touring band together right now. What's going on now is the record's going to put out in markets all over. And uh, there's radio promotions going on, as we speak, and, and uh, we're seeing where it's going to catch. And, yeah. And then we're going to go tour those places and support it. Now, when you market a band, you know, I mean, you work with Bad Company is a great example that you know are essentially a household name in the in the world of classic rock. Uh, but sure. You, t- you take a band like Heaven and Earth, which was not you know to that level mm-hmm. of superstardom. How do you go about marketing that? Because you know a lot of classic rock stations don't like to introduce new music. At least you know I know. Well, in, in the my states, part of the yeah. World. In yeah, the, in the states. In the, in yeah, in the states, you know, the problem is the United the states are very uh, commercial. It's about the money, mm-hmm. and uh, and so without say the the support of a, a clear channel, 
you're really not going to have you have a difficult time getting on the radio. So it's a really it's a catch twenty two, mm-hmm. and we've uh, we've got to go out and find places in the world that want us. And of course, Europe is a great area, and Japan is a great area for these kind of things. But if you have something that people want to listen to, they'll come out and support it. They're a little more uh, cultural yeah. and less about the money with art over there these kind of places than, than here in the States. And, you know, not to slam the States at all, but um, it is, it's very, it's very much a commercial viable world here. Yeah. And so we got to prove ourselves and then sneak back here. It's yeah. interesting because, you know, you, you, you come, you break a new band out, out of the States and you have a hard time even getting that band arrested here until you prove yourself somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's what, the thing I, when I listened to the album, I thought this is fantastic. Um, you know, this would be the kind of stuff I would love to see, you know, uh, I don't like to mention radio stations, but inject some of this into the playlist, um, you know, because you get tired of hearing the same 32 songs all day long, but radio yeah, stations sir. in America don't do that. I mean, Led Zeppelin could drop a brand new song, and that might crack radio in the U.S. Right, but, yeah. You know, it's yeah. ridiculous, the the sort of wall that those stations put up to new music and, and you know it is, it is it a is, shame it, it, it is and uh, you know it takes a lot of money to, to get a campaign like what we're trying to do going I yeah. mean it's still ta- and it always has taken money yeah. I mean that has always been the case to break a band even back when people were buying records and the, and the business was healthy that way it still took a lot of money to break an act yeah. and get them out to people's ears so it's uh, you know Commercialism is a curse, and it's it's also necessary all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I must say, uh, you know, Lynn, you guys have put a, a great record out. The album is available now, Hard to Kill, Heaven and Earth. Um, hopefully we'll see you in the United States on the road um, before too long, because I think it would be criminal to, for this album to get buried. This is it's just too yeah. good. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, Lynn. Well, uh, hopefully, like I said, we'll see you down the road, and, and I wish you guys the best with a new record. Very good, sir. All right, that about wraps it up for this episode of Iron City Rocks. We want to thank Taria, Jacob, and uh, Lynn Sorensen for coming on the show. Again, don't forget that Jacob will be in town on the 24th of November. Taria's got a fantastic new album that will be released within days of you hearing my voice, and Heaven and Earth also have a fantastic new record that's available now. So, uh, kind of three diverse things for you to listen to. Hopefully, uh, one of them at least spoke to you. So, we invisit, uh, invite you to visit us at ironcityrocks.com. You can email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, MySpace. No, we're not on MySpace. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, those are all forward slash Iron City Rocks. And if anyone's still out there on MySpace, good luck. Uh, we wish you well. So, until next time, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen. (laughs) 